Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and I'm really thrilled to be joined today by Karen Wright-Williams. And we just spoke with Karen's husband, Andy, and so now we get to talk to the better half of this relationship. <laughs> really excited to have you on. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us today. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much, Christian, for having me. How are you? You know what? I'm doing great. I'm feeling good. I was a little sleepy, but Andy told me some great stories and he got me really pumped up. So I'm really excited to speak with you today. And although you're joining from the same location, you're not actually in the same space. So no. why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and uh, where you're living these days? Okay. So um, we're in Atlanta right now, suburban Atlanta. We've been here about 12 years. Um, the past 16 years, probably, I've been raising two boys and volunteering and working part-time in some capacity. Actually start a new job on Monday. Um, it's my first full-time job in a really long time. So it's kind of a pivot. I feel like I'm unveiling Karen 5.0 here, you know, in a couple of days. Um, but I'm going to be working um, for a friend of mine who's a mortgage loan originator, um, helping her manage her business. So I'm really looking forward to that. Wow. That's really, really interesting. Karen 5.0. So what was Karen 4.0 doing? <laughs> Karen 4.0. Uh, like I said, I've been raising two boys. We've got a 16-year-old and an 11-year-old. Um, I've been working part-time for um, a family business, my sister's company, for about four years. Just office work um, from the home office. Um, so I could put the boys on the bus in the morning. I could get them off in the afternoon, but you know, it was something for me to do kind of in the middle of the day. And, um, so, um, I'm right now transitioning out of that, trying to train coworkers and hand off work and start something new on Monday. Well, Andy was telling me that your 16 year old is uh, well, turning 16 here, uh, um, very shortly on Friday and learning yeah. to drive, which is, a uh, always fun when your kids learn to drive. Mm. I, I do want to ask though, uh, about how school is going with the whole pandemic and everything. I know here in Utah, everything shut down when in March, you know, and mm -hmm. this year, the schools generally speaking have been open. Sometimes they've had to close temporarily because of an outbreak. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious how things are going with the kids and school. Okay. So our County, um, decide they, um, they kind of give you a choice, which I totally wasn't expecting. I thought they were going to tell me that it was either all in person or all at home, but they gave you a choice whether to send your kids full-time in the classroom or full-time digitally. And you were making a temporary choice through about right now, this point in October. Um, and so both of our boys adamantly wanted to go back. Um, they were doing fine, you know, academically at home, but socially it's just so hard. Um, so we did, they both started back, but they phased it in. So like they started kindergartners and sixth graders and ninth graders were back for the first week. And then, you know, the next round and then the next round. So, 
Um, the boys have been in school for a couple of months now. Um, and they've been fine. They, they have not come in contact with someone that's been sick. They haven't been sent home to quarantine as a part of contact tracing. Um, so it's, it's going pretty well. Cases are starting to tick back up a little bit here in Georgia. We've been trending down for a while, so we're definitely keeping an eye on things, but, um, I would say school is going pretty well here from our perspective, for sure. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's exploding here in Utah lately. It's been kind of ridiculous. Uh, all of our kids are out of uh, high school. Uh, we okay. have one that's still in college. She's a sophomore here at the mm -hmm. University of Utah. And she, all of her classes are online except for one, which is kind of like an exercise and fitness class. Mm -hmm. And she just still goes to campus every day mm -hmm. because she just really wants to be there. And it, it's oh. better for her, even remotely, to be sitting in the library on campus and listening mm -hmm. to a lecture than it is at home. So I totally understand uh, this need for the for children to actually go somewhere and be at school and feel connected. Yeah. And they're all wearing their masks and they're eating lunch outside. The weather's been, you know, mostly allows for that. And um, so they've got things in place. And because some people chose to leave their kids at home, you know, study digitally, it's probably only 60% of the kids in the school right now anyway. So it enables them to, to spread out, but the teachers are teaching simultaneously to the kids at home and the kids in the classroom. So it is a load on the teachers. I really, really, really feel for them. Yeah, me too. And my hat's off to them and all of the healthcare workers and the frontline workers who are dealing with this crazy pandemic. Hopefully uh, this crisis will abate soon and we can return to some kind of normal. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Uh, nobody can see you, but you've got the fingers crossed. And I and I totally I totally echo that sentiment. Fingers crossed. All right. Let's let's return to some really happy times. Uh, Salt Lake 2002. And uh, uh, Andy gave us a little bit of background, but uh, I'm always eager to hear the other side of the story, the probably the the truer side of the story, <laughs> if you're completely honest here. Give us a sense of what you were doing there in the late teen, 1990s and uh, what drew you to Salt Lake City. Okay, so I came to Salt Lake from Atlanta. I was an event coordinator at the Georgia Dome. Um, I had actually interned there earlier in the 90s as part of my grad degree at the University of Georgia in sport management. Um, and then had left for a year and came back. So I was hired full time as an event coordinator in 1995, which means I got to work the 96 Olympics here in Atlanta, not, you know, as part of the organizing committee, but um, as venue owner staff. And it was phenomenal. You know, we had basketball, we had gymnastics, the dream team, Magnificent Seven, I think, right? Um, just so many amazing memories from working the Atlanta games. Plus I, I got to meet some future slockers. I mean, um, Stuart Ash was our venue manager. Ron Cameron was our site manager. Um, Steve Dittmore was in press ops. So it was a really, it was a great experience. Um, I really enjoyed it. So sometime, I think it was like May of 99. Um, I got a call from Todd Pryor 
Todd worked in ticketing in Salt Lake, um, but he had been in ticketing at the Georgia Dome back when I had interned. And then I think, well, he and Marty Sherman both um, had been at the Georgia Dome in ticketing, I think went to ACOG and then I think straight from ACOG to Salt Lake. So they were out working in ticketing in Salt Lake and Todd calls and basically says, I'm in Salt Lake. I'm working the Olympics. You should come out here. Um, send your resume. And I'm thinking, I'll be honest, I wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to leave right then. And I'm, I can look back and see the stupidity of, of that. But at the time, um, I had a couple events that I was working on that I had never worked before. I was working with the NCAA on two final fours, a men's and a women's. I was working with the ACC on their men's basketball tournament. And I had worked with the SEC on their men's basketball tournament and their football championship game for years. But I grew up in Virginia. I'm a huge Duke basketball fan. To me, the ACC tournament was, you know, this also iconic event. So I had these things that I was working on and I just wasn't sure I wanted to leave, but I was like, oh, here goes nothing. You know, back then you fill out the fax cover sheet and you fax the resume in. I didn't hear anything. And um, fast forward to maybe fall of 99, and we're preparing to host the Super Bowl in 2000, the first, you know, mega event of the new millennium. And um, so that means Jerry Anderson and Todd Barnes and Lisa Friedman are regularly um, coming and going. And so I'm getting to know them and I'm working with them. I wasn't, you know, the main contact at the Dome, but I had been given some responsibilities around the field of play and with the the turf and things like that. So, and they came into town for the SEC football championship game. And I was working with them to get credentials and getting them into some spaces. So anyway, just meeting them and getting to know them. Super Bowl happens in January of 2000. I get a call on Valentine's day night of 2000 from Slock HR to ask me if I would be interested in coming out to interview. So I don't exactly know how I got out there. I don't know what happened. Um, my boss at the Georgia Dome um, was very good friends with Todd, uh, Todd and Jerry and Lisa, and he blamed Jerry Anderson. He said it was his fault. Um, but I never, um, I never really, I don't really know for sure if that's what happened or if my boss was just messing with Jerry. I don't know if somebody picked up a pile of old resumes, <laughs> started flipping through them and found my resume from, I, I, I kind of don't know how the phone call, I don't know what happens. All right. Well, that's really interesting. A call on the Valentine's Day evening. I wonder if that was a test. Well, let's see if this person is going to answer the phone on Valentine's Day evening. And if they are going to answer, maybe this is the kind of person we want. If they don't answer, then maybe they have other priorities. <laughs> well, I remember thinking, how odd. But it was probably not, I mean, it was probably the end of the workday in Salt Lake. And, you know, 6.30 or 7 o'clock my time. So... Um, but yes, that stuck with me. It was Valentine's Day. 
night. So, so you get the call. What happens? Um, so I said, yes, of course I was interested in coming out to interview. I had to wrap up some things, um, with March madness. And so I didn't make it out there. It was probably April. Um, but I was hired and I started the beginning of June. And, uh, what role were you hired to perform there in Salt Lake? I was, (laughs) I was hired in event management to work with Doug. Um, with Doug Arnott and his team. Um, it was kind of floated out there when I was interviewing that perhaps I would work at the Delta Center, um, that my experience at the Georgia Dome as venue owner staff um, during the Atlanta games could maybe be valuable there. Um, my first day in uh, Wislock, I was assigned to the Peaks Ice Arena, um, which was fine. I didn't feel any attachment you know, to the Delta Center at all. It's really just happy to be there, you know, whatever you need. Um, and Alan Brooks started the same day. Um, and he was the GM assigned the GM for the E center, but he was also kind of assigned to oversee all of ice hockey. I don't remember what his exact title was, but you know, both competition venues and the two, uh, training venues. Um, so, I started out with the peaks. We were the very first test events out of the gate that fall. Um, so like the first weekend in November, simultaneous test events at the East center and the peaks. Um, and we are going a hundred miles an hour. And, um, at some point, I don't know, maybe in August or so, um, we're talking about other people that we have to bring on board. Um, we're bringing Peaster in. We're bringing John Peaster in, um, as the ops manager at the E-Center and, um, talking about the deputy general manager position at the E-Center, which was going to manage both Paralympics and the Paralympic transition um, and, you know, going through everything that the deputy general manager is going to manage. And I'm thinking that's my job. That's the job I'm supposed to be doing. And um, I mentioned it to Brooksy and he was all in, but he goes, we're going to stand a lot better chance of getting our way. If we go to Doug, with someone who can, you know, with your replacement. So we start talking about who, you know, might come in and take over down at the peaks. And I, um, mentioned Tim Larkin and I, I don't know Tim at this point, I didn't know Tim well, but we had gone to the same college and he had played soccer at William and Mary at the same time my older sister had played soccer at William and Mary. And she knew him very well. And throughout the course of the past years, she had always asked, you know, have you met Tim Larkin? He's working the Olympics in Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. He had been the, like, the venue manager at Atlanta Beach um, for the Atlanta Games. And so I floated that out to Brooksy. And he said, well, what I recall was... That it's not, I think that they had tried to bring Larkin out earlier and um, he had kind of passed. He was doing something else and he had sort of passed. And I said, well, um, my sister called me last week and she basically says, 
you're never going to guess who I ran into last night. So I was playing on a co-ed soccer game against Tim Larkin, ran into Tim and I started telling him, oh my gosh, my sister's working the Olympics in Salt Lake. Um, and he is, you know, saying how he's feeling a little sentimental, you know, he sort of wishes that he was out there and Brooksy's eyes lit up and we started cyber stalking Larkin, trying to find out where he is. And, um, so we find him, we essentially say, A, are you interested in coming out specifically to work at the peaks? And if so, would you be willing to come out and work the test event with me the beginning of November, meet the team, see the venue, do all that. So he was all in. We go to Doug. We kind of float this idea of me moving from the peaks to the e-center. And, you know, we've talked to Tim Larkin and he's interested in coming out and working and he can come out for the test event and meet everybody. What do you think? Doug was good. Larkin came out, worked the test event, came out and worked the peaks. I moved over to the e-center. So your devious plan worked to perfection. <laughs> well, if it was devious, it was all Brooksy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, tell us then about working there at the E Center. You know, what was that like? It was a it was a venue that was built. I think it was built in the nineties, uh, and it had a hockey team that played mm -hmm. there, a local uh, hockey team. And uh, so, what was that like working there out at the well, it's now called the Maverick Center, but back in those okay. days, it was called the E-Center. Um, I, oh my gosh, I loved every minute. It was, of course, it was nonstop. Uh, there were days we had triple sessions. You know, you're kicking people out and bringing people in. It was nonstop hockey, but I just, the people and the team, it was just um, fantastic. And the volunteers that we had from the local West Valley City area, were some of the loveliest people I've ever worked with. Um, I really felt like they made us part of their part of their family. Um, but you know, Alan and John and I, I just enjoyed working with them so much. It was a really, it's a fantastic experience. Well, I asked Andy this question, so I'll ask you the same. You know, in, in Olympic Games, is an extremely high pressure uh, environment, right? You've got immovable deadlines. It has to happen. And teams can either really come together or they can fracture. I mean, what was it that allowed the team to really stick together and excel in what some would consider challenging circumstances, particularly when you lay on top of that 9-11 and uh, you know, last minute changes to a lot of the operations that were necessary as a result of, of that horrible day. Mm -hmm. uh, just tell us, you know, what was it like to, to, or how was it that you were able to form such a high performing team in challenging conditions? One of the things that I felt made that experience in Salt Lake so unique. And I, lots of people on your podcast have talked about how, just completely competent and like such good 
like the best work around the best, like some of the most talented people they've ever been around. And for sure that's the case. But the other thing is just people who really knew how to have a good time while they were working hard. And just some of the most fun personalities, um, create people who thought so creatively outside of the box, um, when it came to, um, solving problems, everybody's working toward the same goal and motivated toward the same goal. And you really kind of push aside every possible, every obstacle that comes in your way, um, to figure out how to get to there, even if there's a personality conflict. And there were some of those, um, but there was just such this laser focus on what you wanted to produce that everything gets thrown to the side. And, um, I also feel like I should give Brooksy, you know, a lot of credit as well. Alan is, well, he's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world and he's family to me now, but, um, you know, professionally as a mentor and a leader, he is, um, so able to think outside of the box, so creative in his problem solving. So he feels so responsible, um, for your success. Um, and he's just fun. So when people are, you know, committed to having a good time while they work hard, it's like, that's where the magic happens. You and a couple of other people have mentioned Alan, and I'd love to get him on the podcast. So maybe you can uh, twist We're his working. arm. We are working on him. And get him on we here. Uh, I want to. I want to ask you about that fun element. You know, what were some of the fun, hilarious things that people did there to help keep the mood a little bit light and balance uh, the the pressure uh, that you would feel doing all of the hard work. Um, I wish I had a picture. Um, I remember our volunteer training and. Um, Alan had worn this, um, like this huge wig with this green, shiny, glittery thing, um, for like Halloween one year. And he did the whole dress up thing as well as part of the beginning of his, um, gig for our volunteer training. Imagine you're like a volunteer at your first training at the East center. And that is what walks in. You're like, I'm going to have a good time for the next month. Um, but we would do um, uh, some team building. Uh, we did some team building with our venue volunteer chair and went out on a lake um, one day and um, had a good time doing that. Um, I feel like, um, and so many of my memories are not just e-center memories. They're their memories with all these other people that you spent all this time with outside of work. Um, you know, I had never lived or, um, really lived anywhere East off of, out of Virginia or Georgia. So, you know, all the traveling we did, all of the, we didn't miss a test event. I went to every possible test event. We, um, I tried skiing. I'd never skied before. I tried snowshoeing. I tried cross-country skiing. Um, I tried curling. <laughs> um, 
So it was just all of these things that I'd never experienced with all of these people that were, you know, working hard during the day and playing hard in the evening. Those are, those are the memories that have stuck with me. I mean, we sat at a, um, we sat for dinner one night, um, and decided that Alan needed to run for president and, um, you know, picked all of us picked what position we would have in his cabinet. Um, and that actually is a ticket that I would vote for Alan. I think it was, um, Alan and, uh, his vice president was Tim Larkin. All right. Well, now that Mitt's no longer running for president, maybe we can make that happen. <laughs> and uh, I do have to ask a question, though. Um, what position in the cabinet did you fill? I was chief of staff. Ah. I really just um, chief wrangler. I'm like was responsible for keeping people in their lanes, <laughs> out of trouble. Chief of staff. Perfect. What about some of the other uh, cabinet roles? Was there a secretary of state, a secretary of defense? I don't, I'm trying to remember Andy's and I can't, um, Brad Eggert wanted to carry the football, you know, I guess the, with the, um, it's like a security thing. Um, I think Lauren Price was, um, uh, press, press secretary. I don't remember. When you get Brooksy on, you're going to have to ask him. All right. Well, that ticket's got my vote. So mine as well. No, after the actual elections here in November, um, we'll throw that on the ticket. I've already mailed in my ballot, so it's too late for me to write in a candidate. Thank All you. right. Super interesting. Uh, what other really fun, interesting, inspiring stories do you have in your memory banks to share with us today? Well, along with um, planning the games. I was all, we were, we were also planning our wedding. So Andy had proposed to me while we were out in Salt Lake, we had decided to get married, um, after the games back here in Atlanta at our church and with our reception at the Georgia dome, cause why not? We met there. Um, so I have, again, all these memories associated with planning my wedding along with planning this awesome Olympics with these awesome people. And, um, we would fly back home every once in a while. And, you know, with a list of vendors we had to meet and, um, fly back or we would go to Phoenix. We needed to register and none of the, um, the stores in Salt Lake are the stores you find back East where we're getting married. So, we just take a weekend and go to Phoenix, right? And register. Um, the day that the flowers for the flower ceremony and the medal ceremonies were unveiled was the day that the flowers for our wedding were picked. They unveiled those flowers for the flower ceremonies that were kind of wildflowers and those are the flowers for my wedding. So I don't remember whether Andy saw them first or me, but I'm taking a picture and printing off the, um, the, um, press release, you know, that listed all of the flowers. And that's what I gave my, uh, florist. She, uh, had the picture and the list of the flowers. And that's what our bridesmaids carried in our wedding. That's what was in the church. Um, 
you know, but I, I couldn't plan my wedding back East with my mom and dad. So it was my friends in Salt Lake that were doing it with me. It was Lauren Price who was with me when I picked up my dress and John Peaster's wife that was there as well. Um, I mean, so many of the people there became seriously my family. Um, they were there planning my wedding. They were there. We were there when they were having children, you know, and it just over the past 20 years, it's just even grown in the good times and the bad times. Those people are still my family. Well, I think it's just tremendous. Uh, just listening to you talk about it, it sounds really, really amazing. I imagine it's quite hard to plan a wedding while you're planning to deliver an Olympic games or in the midst of delivering an Olympic games. Um, I did ask John this, you know, what's it like having two event uh, people planning a wedding and, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and, you know, he was talking to me about his conversion from being a really operations oriented person and then having this whole Western experience and soldier (laughs) hall being more of an experienced person. So I asked him the question was the wedding, more operational or was it more of an experience and how did he answer that <laughs> he said well it was probably a bit more operational because we, there was so much to do you know we we were in there really trying to get everything done we in, in a relatively short amount of time um for me i mean we had a year and a half to plan it. And we made several trips back East and, you know, with a list of vendors that we needed to meet and we didn't leave until we could mark it off. So it didn't feel, um, it didn't feel that overwhelming by the times the, by the time the game started, it, it was kind of all done. Um, but I had, you know, my dress hanging in the closet and every, you know, morning as I would get ready to head to the East center, there was my wedding dress. And so it just, um, it was just this really awesome for me. Um, it's really special to be doing both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Well, I get from the undercurrent of emotions that it was a beautiful experience and I really appreciate you sharing it with me on this crazy funky podcast that I'm doing. Um, it did sound so, so incredible. Before we get to what happens after the games, why don't we talk a little bit more about uh, during the games? Uh, you mentioned the East Center was very, very busy. What was a day in the life of Karen Williams like during games time? It's such a blur. I, I was there typically before the sun was up. And I don't remember leaving till the sun was down. Um, it was volunteers and um, hockey pucks. And like, it's really, it's a blur. I, um, we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago and um, we think we had one night off. Uh, and, um, I don't actually remember having a night off during the games. So I'm, you know, I've been listening to your podcast. I've been hearing people talk about being at metals Plaza and I never made it to metals Plaza. I feel like I really missed out. Like I wish I had known ahead of time and like known to make a concerted effort to be there. Cause it sounds like that was really an experience that just topped it all off. Um, but we did, I do remember having an afternoon, 
um, Alan kicked John and I out, gave us tickets, sent us with tickets to the oval. So getting to go to the oval and see the speed skating, um, for a session, um, was great. Um, but it was, there was a lot going on. I mean, when you had USA Russia playing, you had everybody in the whole wide world who wanted to be in the venue. I remember sitting with Brooksy in the accreditation trailer and all these people that were trying to get in and this look on his face, like how, you know, to me, <laughs> how to manage who's in it. Crazy. Well, you may not have gotten to go to the medals plaza, but there were a lot of amazing competitions there yes. at the E Center and, and really some of the great moments of the games uh, took place there. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it like being there in that kind of atmosphere uh, with these amazing competitions going on? You know, USA, Canada, you know, an iconic match. And, you know, what was it like being there in that electric atmosphere? It's so exciting. It's so exciting. There's nothing like an international event um, of that magnitude. Nothing comes close to um, people with their flags. And um, it's, it's just phenomenal. It was phenomenal. And your venue is also a Paralympic venue. Yes. And so you have to, you know, take a short break, catch your breath, mm -hmm. and then get back to work again. Uh, what was it like working the Paralympic Games there at the E-Center? I loved working the Paralympics. Um, we, in the lead up and in the prep and the years leading up to the Games and the Paralympics, um, had the opportunity to meet some of the athletes, um, actually, you know, get practice, have opportunity to try and play sled hockey. And um, it was, the athletes are amazingly approachable and fun and um the atmosphere in the building um during the paralympics was really um it was fantastic so i was that's you know one of the reasons when you know we were looking at making that move to the e center that i wanted to make the move to the e center is the to be at a venue that was also going to host the paralympics and then the games end and you move on you go get married Yes, And you put on that dress that your slot <laughs> friends uh, helped you uh, choose. As you look back at your own, I guess, personal legacy of the games, you know, what was it or what was something that you learned there or experienced there in Salt Lake that just kind of stuck with you for the rest of your life? For me, the legacy of the games is family. And it's not about blood, family. I mean, we were thousands of miles from family and, um, I left there with people that I'm still doing life with, you know, there for John Peaster when his wife, you know, when they had their first baby, um, we were the ones at the hospital because <laughs> their family was also thousands of miles away. Um, it was, it's just all about the people. It's all about the friendships and the connections and the fam, just the family. You know, many people think that life is uh, full of coincidences and there's a lot of serendipity, but I wonder what would have happened if uh, you were, you were uh, cyber stalking uh, Tim Larkin and your sister hadn't played soccer with him a week before. Well, I think the same thing too. I mean, it's, I, I really 
don't kind of don't believe in coincidences. I think everything really does happen for a reason. There's no doubt that she was supposed to run into him that night. But yeah, when that, I, yeah. All right. Well, uh, this conversation has been super enjoyable. We do have a final segment at the end where we ask all these crazy questions. But before we get to that part, is there anything else uh, with respect to your Salt Lake experience? Any other stories that you want to share with us? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Okay. You asked all the questions. <laughs> then we'll go to our final three questions. And the first question is a question about music. And so, you know, it could have been a song or an artist that you heard during competition, or it could have been something that you listened to in the car when you were commuting to the East Center. Is there a particular musical artist or a song that reminds you of your time in Salt Lake? Whenever you hear it today, it's like, oh, yeah, that takes me right back to Salt Lake 2002. There is, and I have been fighting it because um, it's not—it's not really a one-hit wonder, but it's kind of close. Um, so my song is "Thank You" by Dido, um, and I think she had a couple of songs, but um, I feel like that song played the entirety of two thousand one, and um, the refrain is I want to thank you for giving me the best day of my life. And I really, I know it's so corny, but I really felt like every day I was living the best day of my life out there with these amazing people doing these amazing things. It was the best day of my life. If that song comes on, it doesn't matter where I am. That's what I think of. It's a little friend. It's a little fringy. Dido, thank you. Uh, I think it's great. And I think, it's not necessarily corny. You know, we, as, uh, as people who have, have uh, participated on this podcast, many of us, I include myself in this, uh, you know, working those games was the highlight of our careers. You know, we, uh, it was really a special moment in time in our lives. And so I don't find it corny at all. I find it quite fitting. So Dido, thank you. We'll put it on our Spotify playlist. Let's go to food. I'm a food lover. So, uh, I'm curious to hear, a restaurant that you enjoyed. It could have been out there in West Valley around the East Center, or it could have been downtown Salt Lake. Uh, was there a particular place that you like to frequent when you lived there in Salt Lake City? Is it a problem that I couldn't pick just one? It's not a problem. <laughs> I don't know. I the podcast, I make the rules. So <laughs> you want to nominate more than one, that's totally fine with me. Thank you for the pass. I don't know what it says about me that so many of my memories in Salt Lake are wrapped around food establishments, but um, for sure the globe. And I know you know, a lot of people, but we used to meet there every Monday morning, breakfast sandwich and coffee. That was our team meeting, Alan and John and I, I think Larkin and Donal used to join us every once in a while, every Monday morning. Um, the trolley wing company right across the street from where I lived. What's not to love about a place that only serves wings and beer. I have a beer mug downstairs with my name on it from trolley wing company that I earned. So, um, definitely the trolley wing company. And then there was a lunch, um, an Italian place that we used to go to for lunch called Musamichi's. I think it was Musamichi's. It's like down an alley and you went into this um, building and down a hallway. Does this sound familiar to you at all? 
I don't recall it, but I will definitely look it up. I wonder if I have the wrong name. Anyway, the cheese ravioli and meatballs. Good. Oh, man, I'm getting hungry for lunch already. And I'm actually keeping you from lunch because you're talking to me during your lunch hour. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Now, the Globe and the Trolley Wing Company are no longer there. I'll look for the Italian place. Uh, if I can find it, and if it's still around, I'll put it on our map. We have a website and it's got the map. And it's got all the restaurants pinned on there. And for those that no longer exist, we'll put them in the list of all the restaurants. And Trolley Wing Company and the Globe have both been nominated yeah. several times. They're in there on the list. All right, wonderful. Okay, to wrap us up then, you've already shared so many spine-tingling memories. I don't know if you've got any more left in the tank, but is there a quintessential goosebump moment that just makes you feel good anytime you remember it? it there is, and I saved, I saved one memory just for this. Um, the gold medal match last night of the games at the E-Center. Um, if you were a slocker and you weren't at closing ceremonies, you were at the E-Center. I mean, we were busting out. Um, but, you know, all of the Canadians with their Canadian flags and um, we had the medal ceremony there on the ice after uh, the match. Um, so, you know, all the medals were right there. All the um, flowers, we had practiced the um, medal ceremony afterwards on the ice. Um, it's just all these people that you had worked so hard with for so long. It, I felt like I was hosting a big party um, at my home um, and everyone was having the best time ever. Um, to dovetail onto that, I don't exactly know how it happened, but Andy and I ended up with tickets to closing ceremonies. So I, I remember being down at the ice, getting ready for the medals to go out onto the ice after the match and um, not being able to stick around and watch it because we had to get over to the stadium. Brooksy was like kicking me out. At the same time, I'm starting to get like a little tickle in my throat, starting to not feel totally great. Christian, I didn't even make it to the stadium before. I was so sick. I was, I had a headache. I had the chills. I was at closing ceremonies and I don't, I don't really remember any of it. I have pictures. And so I know I was there, but I remember, I just remember leaning against Andy. I felt so ill, um, which is, I feel like that should have been more of a goosebumpy moment because I was at the closing ceremonies. Um, but I spent most of the transition into Paralympics not feeling so hot. Well, you had literally given every ounce of energy you had uh, to the games. And by the end of it, you were completely spent, it sounds like. Well, I was talking to Amy Murray a couple of days ago, and she said the same thing. She's like, I got so sick that night, too. I said, it's your fault. You, you must have brought it to me. Wow. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of these amazing memories. I really do. And it was a pleasure to speak with you and get to know you here today. If listeners want to reconnect with you and learn more about the things that you did there at the E-Center, what you're doing today, or just share some memories of Salt Lake, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, I'm on social media. I'm Karen Williams on Facebook. Um, and I'm probably 
I don't interact there a lot, but I do scroll there a lot. So that's probably the best way to reach me. I am on um, Twitter and Instagram, but I'm mostly just there to stalk the teenagers. So um, I'm not there as often. (laughs) Well, we'll make sure that uh, they don't listen to this podcast and your secret is safe with me. Anyway, uh, it was a joy to have you here, Karen. I really appreciate it. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our little podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Karen, thank you. Thank you so much, Christian. It was, I had such a good time. Thank you for what you're doing.